Greetings, comrades, and welcome to a very important and very special episode. And obviously, you guys can see we are Riffororan with the new name and logo. You can see up here in the corner, right above my pretty little head. I won't delve too long into some of the other changes because I've got a whole video log for that. But the other big announcement I do want to say before we get into our actual show for today is that I have finally been able to convert this show into an audio format and post it up on all of the various podcast hosting websites. Well, the big ones at least. So with that, we have effectively vastly increased the reach of the show as well as the accessibility of the show because there are many people out there who just simply want to listen to a long form show like this through something like an audio format rather than a video format and now finally get on board with that train so the comrade cast will always go live on youtube first every wednesday afternoon and then shortly thereafter you will see it appear on itunes and spotify and eventually youtube music and all the other wonderful various platforms out there that i can throw this show onto so I'm going to include the link to the Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud in the pinned comment, and that will appear now with every video. So if you prefer to get the show in an audio format, it's now easily accessible to you. The first 30 episodes are now on there. Unfortunately, they're jumbled up because when I uploaded them, I bashed uploaded them, and I didn't upload them in actual numerical order, so they got all messed up. And I should have thought ahead on that one, but what can you do? Regardless, though, they are all on there now, and in the future, the rest of the episodes will be on there as well. In addition to that, if you're feeling nostalgic, this is actually the same account I used to hold the old Naples Ultra podcast. So you can, if you go back to the very beginning of the feed, you'll find those episodes on it too. So if you're feeling particularly nostalgic, you can go way back if you want to. And with that, I want to officially welcome you to the inaugural episode of the Comrade Cast the 31st episode of what is formerly Chatter in the Skull. As you can see, I saved some of the logo here, particularly the little skull there. I really grew a fondness for him. don't know if you guys ever played Escape from Monkey Island, but if you guys remember Murray the Talking Skull, it reminds me of him. So I've grown to be affectionate to little guys, so I didn't want to get rid of them. And now with housekeeping out of the way, let's jump into our topic for the day. And while there is a ton of stuff happening right now, I want to take some time to do this episode on something that I've been wanting to talk about for a month or two now, but just haven't had the opportunity to slot it into an episode. So I'm doing it now, but I'm going to do some very, very quick and brief shotgun points before we get into our main topic. So the first thing I'm sure a lot of you guys are wondering about is what my thoughts are on the emerging Ukrainian counteroffensive. We're going to very briefly touch on that, but with something like this, I like to let it breathe a little bit because we are in the very early stages of what I think is going to be at least a multi-week long and maybe multi-month long battle. And then we're going to very briefly touch on the indictment of Donald Trump. So here's our live map. Let's zoom into the area that we know is having the most amount of activity, which is right along here, the Zaporizhia line. And then up here, there's also some activity around Bakhmut. It looks like they've forced them back a little bit. But the important thing that I want people to remember here is that these are going to be, particularly at the start, pretty slow and grinding offensives. 
we are talking about attacking entrenched positions that have plenty of cover and plenty of support. So I didn't expect to have any kind of initial breakthroughs unless we had some sort of massive display of Russian incompetence that doesn't seem like what we're seeing initially. We are seeing basically Ukrainian thrusts being met with limited success or in some cases being turned back completely. When it comes to our most successful initial advances, right here south of Vleka Novosilka, we are having our most, we're seeing the most amount of success, but still it's pretty limited. So we can, oh shit, it's only in Cyrillic. Well, I, I get you covered here. Right here, they're advancing along the Rika Mokriyali, which Rika is river, so that's the Mokriyali River. And they're advancing along here. And in fact, the Russians blew a dam just south here. Unfortunately, it's not marked on the map anymore. But uh, there was this, a dam that they blew. Another one, this is the second one they've blown, because of course they've blown the Novohoroka Dam earlier when it seemed like the counteroffensive was initially happening. But they broke dam along this river, which is probably intended to slow the counteroffensive somewhat. That being said, the most interesting thing to me is that this here, in my page marker here, that this uh, counteroffensive by Ukraine doesn't seem to be headed towards where we mostly thought it would be. So the counteroffensive doesn't seem to be coming. And again, this is all speculation, and I'll, I'll address that a little bit towards the end here. But most of our speculation, including my speculation, estimated that the Ukrainian counteroffensive would probably come along here and move towards Melitopol and try and liberate it. And we do see some advances along that line. However, the major advances, at least the most successful advances, are happening around here again. And they appear to be advancing towards Mariupol. That arrow looks horrible. I'm going to redo it. Anyway. So yeah, that doesn't look much better. Anyway, that's it's neither here nor there. My point here is, is that the initial advance is not coming along the axis, which many of us thought it was going to, it seems like they're actually headed towards Mariupol, which would definitely be an interesting change of pace. I do think it's a pretty smart maneuver because, again, most of us were expecting them to go towards Melitopol, which would probably have more defenses. I'm assuming the Russians would probably have more defenses along that front. So they might be attacking towards an area where they know there might be less defenses waiting for them. So that being said, again, it's still very hard to say that this is even the initial thrust of the advance because one thing I want people to be very clear as we wrap up this very brief talk is that what is happening right now is it's, it's like both sides are playing like a card game or even I'm not like big into Magic the Gathering or anything like that. But from my understanding, one of the key ways to be successful in that game is to hold your best cards in reserve and coax out your opponent's best cards and get them to play their cards on the table while you hold your so-called trump cards in reserve. And that is what is happening here. Ukraine is trying to coax out Russia to deploy its best troops because both sides have substantial reserves waiting to either exploit a breakthrough or defend against a breakthrough. So what is happening is Ukraine is probing and trying to get Russia to commit forces to an area where at the same time then, of course, attack at a different area. So they're trying to shift Russian defenses so they have to take defenses from one area and move them to another 
and then thus making that area vulnerable to attack from hopefully your best troops that you have in reserve. So this is what is happening right now. You have these plays, you have these probes, and this is going to happen for an indefinite amount of time. The amount of armored vehicles we are seeing is not indicative, in my opinion, of a very large assault. Again, these are indicative of what I would classify as probing assaults. And one of the things, there's going to be losses here, guys. And this is one of the things I'm seeing a lot of people like freak out about, like seeing destroyed leopards and destroyed Western armor. Guys, chill. This is the initial stage of the operation. It's going to be the most deadly, the most bloody, and the most losses for Ukraine in this initial stage. And again, I don't think anybody was expecting a cakewalk. I do think that successes in Kyrgyzstan and Kharkiv last year definitely primed people to be thinking that it would be a little bit more of a cakewalk than it's going to be. That being said, that this is not a year ago. The Russians are much better prepared. And in addition to that, they have more troops and they're better dug in. So it's going to be a slog, guys. And until we see some more evidence of a breakthrough or a real collapse on the Ukrainian side, it's definitely too early to say anything yet. Obviously, though, I'm going to be keeping an eye on the war and what's happening with these various offensives and doing my best to keep you guys updated. So speaking of the Donald Trump indictment, which we are going to cover very briefly, we just have a little bit of a bullet point just right now as I'm recording. Apparently, Trump is now appearing at the Will William. I'm reading William Barr and getting confused. He's appearing at the Floridor. Floridor. Can't speak today. He's appearing at the Florida courthouse in order to give his plea. He's given a not guilty plea, as we all expected he would. That being said, this is just like a little footnote. Him going to the courthouse, giving his plea, and uh, leaving. That That's it. But obviously it's happening. But just in reference to this, I really don't have too much more to say because this doesn't really change my overall analysis from what I get in the big indictment show where we talked about the first indictment of Donald Trump. One of the things I said, particularly in that show, is that I felt like that indictment was really meant to open up the floodgates for further cases. And it seems like that, it, I don't know if that indictment particularly helped open the floodgates, but either way, <laughs> the floodgates are opening. And now we have 37 indictments against the former president. And these are in reference to his hiding of the classified documents and securing of the classified documents, which he took with him when he left the White House. But overall, all that I do think that this does is this still strengthens his core base or strengthens his relationship with the core base. They're not going to abandon him. They're not going to go anywhere. In fact, now this is probably just going to encourage them to go even more fervently in his defense. You've seen the rhetoric escalate in some places with certain Trump supporters declaring for violence. And now's the time for the Civil War. Now's the time to start killing and all this crazy crap. So they're going to vote for him. They're going to vote for him effectively no matter what. And we got to be prepared for that. That being said, though, this obviously just continues to hurt him more and more and more in the general election. One thing I've heard conservatives argue is that guys like Joe Biden and Mike Pence also took classified documents, which is true. However, when they were asked to give them back, they gave them back and no questions asked. And not only that, from my understanding, these documents that they had were nowhere near the level of actual classified information that Donald Trump was holding on to. That being said, though, I still think that taking classified documents and even though you gave them back is still a pretty shitty thing to do. I do think there should be some punishment. I don't think that they should go to jail for that. 
because again they did comply and they did give it back but i think there should be some sort of like substantial fine or something along those lines but what donald trump did is definitely on an order of magnitude above because it is a higher degree of classification and also he obstructed the various investigations when the agents came to Miralago to try and retrieve the documents one thing is clear that is that he tried to hide or move or obstruct the agents from retrieving those documents so he could hold on to them and i think that's a really key thing that people need to remember is that not only did he just have these documents which is bad bad in and of itself but i think the bigger thing is like when they came to try and get them is he basically like i said didn't hand them all over fucked around and you know what they say fuck around find out type of thing so if anything this is just going to sour him in general and strengthen him in the primary we shall see what happens the only thing that can again really derail this train i think is joe biden imploding politically which can always happen and or i guess i don't know if these are the same thing and or him dying and then the democrats have to run a new candidate who might not have the same recognition as joe biden but in addition to that apparently there is more coming for donald trump this is going to get fucking wild and that's all i'm gonna say about that for now again this is another story that i'm gonna let breathe and let grow for a little bit before we start making really definitive assessments and announcements on it and with that, we'll end our brief rapid fire segment and we're going to move into our main topic of today. And we are going to once again today be talking about the red pill. And what's funny about this term, the red pill, is that it seems to finally, 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 finally be falling out of style with the right wing. They seem to be moving away from this term. In There's been a kind of a lot of infighting within the, the red pill community, the manosphere community. And it's led to some of them openly disavowing the label and saying, I don't want this label anymore. I don't know if I'm red pill anymore, but I don't agree with these guys type of thing. But here's the thing, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about today, is that even though a lot of these guys are disavowing the label, the rhetoric still remains and the talking point still remains. And that is, in many cases, a distinction without a difference. But it's interesting to see the deviations in thought in this sort of movement, political movement, whatever you want to call it. In my experience of understanding and studying and trying to absorb this content so I can figure out kind of the underlying ideas and motivations of it, I've identified three types of, I guess you could call them red pillar, red pillar type people, and I guess red pill values that they try and espouse. All right, so let's talk about the first type, and I, I would guess... Let's say these are in descending order of commonality. So this is the most common type. The first type of red pill guy you're going to find is type one, the player. And I just thought, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't even know this guy's damn. I just thought it was funny to put like an actual like soccer player <laughs> as the player. Anyway, the player is, you can probably already exactly know who I'm talking about just by saying this. These are the kind of red pill guys that are going to tell you to up your game, teach you how to go out there and pick up women and, you know, how to talk to women more successfully and that kind of stuff. For these kind of people, like the ultimate thing you can do basically is go out there and sleep with as many women as possible. This is their strategy to empowerment. This is their strategy to a better life. Just go out there, fuck around, and that's 
that's it effectively like effectively they're saying that once you figure that out you'll help figure out other parts in your life you'll become more confident and capable and blah 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 so the players are out there they're everywhere they're the fresh and fit types the fucking sneako types that's their whole jam Although actually, you know what, maybe a Sneeko isn't the best representation for the player. He used to be, but he seems to be migrating towards a, another form of the Red Pillar, which I guess is a good segue into our second type. Alright, so who exactly is the second type? Well, the second type is the Tradcon. And the Tradcon is the kind of individual who advocates some sort of return to his 1950s style leave it to beaver nuclear family father knows best kind of crap they believe that the way to success and having meaningful relationships is to effectively follow the same model that the baby boomers followed marry young start up a nuclear family dad is hopefully the sole breadwinner though not exactly easy to do these days if you talk to these people they'll really really idolize the 1950s big red flag in my opinion for someone who has particularly far-right viewpoints. I think that everything bad happened in the 60s and 70s. And if we just went back to the way things used to be, everything would be fine. Everything would be wonderful. And we have no problems whatsoever. This is very unrealistic. The genie is way out of the bottle in that sense. There's no way, particularly people in like younger demographics like myself, right? 30-year-old guy, not really going to go back to this style of living my life. And I'm certainly not going to encourage my own children to live this type of life either. This style of living is long dead and gone, and it's not coming back, and it's for the best. But with that, let us move into the third and final type. I will say, though, at least the Tradcons get a little bit more respect, in my opinion, than the players, because at least they're working towards something. At least they have a final goal which um, isn't really that bad, which is the establishment of a family. What's bad is all the crap that they attach to it and how you get there. So let's move into the final type. And this is where I think that most kind of men on an individual level who call themselves and associate themselves with the Red Pill are, but in terms of a content creator perspective, it's probably the, the least active type and least popular type. So what is the third type? The third type, I really had trouble coming up with a good name for them. So I'm just calling them the Wanderer. So the Wanderer represents the final type of red pill person, red pill guy, the kind that is neither here nor there. They just know that they don't really want to start a family or interact with women or that kind of stuff, but they're just off doing their own thing for the most part. They're off disengaging with society, doing their hobbies and that kind of stuff. These are where you'd probably put your big towels and that kind of stuff. Just guys who aren't interested at all in engaging with women and are much more interested in their own activities, their own hobbies, doing their own thing type of stuff. These are what I call the wanderers. The wanderer wants to disengage with society and engage with themselves by and large. And as we've talked about before, disengaging with society, in my opinion, not the worst thing in the world because our society right now, doesn't offer anybody a whole lot of benefit in engaging with it currently. So by all means, like I say, and I've talked about this before, disengage with society, go off, do your own thing. What I don't like is a lot of the rhetoric, which follows that happens to be obviously not exactly most friendly to women, a lot of derogatory rhetoric towards women and how they seem to view them still exactly. I'm not a fan of 
But that being said, I don't think that there's inherently anything bad. In fact, in some cases, like I've talked about, one of the most revolutionary things you can do right now is disengaging with society. And there's nothing inherently bad about that. And with that, now that I've set you guys up with my three types of, of red pillars that the movement seems to be breaking off into, the one that spurred the topic of conversation that I want to talk about right now happens to be one of the third types, a wanderer. And you are going to get introduced to another individual on my roster, another person whom I check in with occasionally to see where red pill thought and manosphere thought is at. So who is it? Who is this person? Who is it? Who is it? It's an individual that goes by the name Better Bachelor on YouTube. And this guy, I would definitely consider him a wanderer. He isn't really a player, not really a trad con. He's definitely conservative, but he's not out there demanding everybody get married and pulling that evangelical bullshit and that kind of stuff. He is what I would call a cooked red pillar. And it's in the sense that, you know, how the Chinese, if you guys know, the Chinese would classify the outside barbarians as either being cooked or uncooked. And the cooked barbarians were closer to the Chinese civilization and they were a little bit easier to deal with. Had some of those rough edges taken away, whereas the uncooked barbarians were obviously very rough and raw and barbarian in nature. But yeah, I would definitely classify him as cooked. He's not as rough around the edges as some of these guys seems a little bit more moderate and reasonable. And one of the things that this guy actually seems to have is like a genuine perspective. Like I think he actually believes the kind of stuff that he's saying, whereas a fresh and fit, I think probably believe maybe 30 to 40% of the stuff that they're actually saying and the rest of it, they're just saying to get like money and clout and attention and that kind of stuff. I don't feel that way with this guy. So I guess that's a point in his favor. So anyway, he did, he did this video and this is a little bit older. I think it's about two weeks old. And it spurred this kind of thought process in me to bring us to what I think is one of the key factors that has really allowed the red pill to grow and thrive and become as popular as it has. This video finally figured out and helped me articulate what I'm calling the red pill feedback loop. And this is how particularly mainstream media feed off the rhetoric from these guys. And then these guys in turn feed off the rhetoric from mainstream media who in turn feed off the rhetoric from these guys. And you can see what I'm saying. It's a big feedback loop that just spirals out of control. Not only that, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. A lot of these guys act like they hate the mainstream media so much. And you guys know my opinion. The mainstream media sucks, particularly the corporate media sucks. We all know it. But without the mainstream media, these guys would never be as popular as they are now. And they, again, use that feedback loop to boost their own popularity. So what exactly do I mean here? Let's break this down a little bit more and how this video in particular helped me see some of these things. So I don't know how much of this video I'm actually going to play for you guys, but basically this video here is, what is it called? Let me just go down to the title. It's quite a, quite a title on this one. It said, women like this should be in a government registry somewhere. While I don't think that that is necessarily the right answer, we're going to see that what he's talking about, it, it's pretty fucked up. There's no question it's pretty fucked up and pretty reprehensible. So what Better Bachelor or Joker has done here is he's found this thread written by this woman. She is a fairly substantial Twitter user. 
Well, let's go back here. Did it? Did he say exactly how many followers she has? She's got 66k followers. Pretty, pretty sizable. Pretty sizable amount of followers. No questions there. And then, of course, she goes into her little thread here. We will break it down here, which is how to lower your boyfriend's testosterone. A thread. So I actually went to this woman's Twitter thread in general. It's just going to be way easier to look through than having to stare at the video and look through that. So here's, this is actually old. I just realized this is from October 29, 2022. So this is pretty old. She goes through a bunch of stuff that the reason why you want a high testosterone man, she says, because they're more attractive and fun, blah, blah, blah. But then once you actually have the relationship, she says you have to lower their testosterone so you can secure a stable relationship with them which is totally crazy. Let's be real. Like this is totally insane stuff that she's talking about right now. To try and manipulate someone's hormone levels without their knowledge, I think is a horrific thing to do. Very shitty thing to do. I don't know if it's outright illegal, but you could definitely very much so make a case that it should be. She basically says that you have to control him all the time you have to make sure that he works at a job where he's sedentary staring at a screen that you want to plan all of his activities in advance so he doesn't do things like go to the gym which might raise his testosterone level he, she has really creepy things to say here like slowly and without him notice, noticing take over his time make sure his brain is lazy and becomes complacent on your lists and planning oh man if, uh, i i just feel like Sometimes when I read about other people's relationships and dynamics and like how these people like exist in the real world, it's just so alien to like my own relationship with my wife. It's like, how do these people exist? My wife doesn't want to control my time. She's not interested in controlling my time. And if she did, it would be not a very fun experience for either one of us because I'm not a person who likes to be on a schedule particularly who likes to have every second of his day dictated out to him who likes to be on a very specific time frame that's not who i am and i would fight it tooth and nail and obviously it would lead to a pretty terrible relationship i think in my opinion right here anytime he has an idea of his own counteract it with something cozy oh that would drive me crazy that would drive me crazy like he wants to go to the gym, get sexy, and ask him to stay home with you, that kind of stuff. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy crap. Uh, force him to eat lots of, make sure he spends lots of money and eats lots of food. Like, it goes to, like, restaurants with maximally processed food. Stay him away from, like, healthy food. Give him tons of compliments so he doesn't get insecure about his body. This is also, this is incredibly dangerous, in my opinion. Like, you're trying to manipulate his diet and keep him away from healthy foods because you don't want his testosterone levels to be too high. Do people like think through this kind of stuff, what they're actually writing and like what they're actually putting out there and just how completely insane it sounds. So then here is the really messed up part that she says here. It says that if he is image conscious and starts really panicking, go nuclear and get him on SARMs. I'm not sure what that stands for, but I do know what it is. It's basically like steroid. It's like a, a healthier, quote unquote, version of steroids that is designed to help you keep muscle mass without having to actually work out. So basically, it's designed to help you keep your muscles without actually having to do the work of maintaining them. Yeah, she says, get him on this fucking hormone that is like a steroid fucking substitute and convince him that it will get a sexy body back. 
make him have bigger muscles and his sex drive will go down and he'll never cheat on you. Okay. So that's another thing in reference to this drug in particular, it lowers your libido, whereas steroids, from my understanding, increase it. And then another crazy thing she says here is get him super into politics. Doesn't matter what kind, just turn him into an ideologue. Just be sure whatever social or identity functions as his daddy. So he has to obey it without ever thinking for himself. I don't know who thinks about politics like this. This is not a way a normal human being ever thinks about politics. Regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on, if you're just blindly obeying your quote-unquote ideologue of political avatar, it, that's a bad place to be. You're just going to end up hurting yourself and the people around you probably. And you don't build your political identity and your politics based off the people who are around you. That's just silly talk. You build it after examining yourself and coming up with your own values, which are important to you, and basing your own political identity off of that. If I, and I, I do live in an area where I am surrounded by people who are right-wing and I'm the only left-wing person all of the time, and I would never, ever change my politics based on the people who are around me. That's ridiculous. Anyway, moving on here. And then she just ends off with saying that high testosterone men are more fun at first, but once the love is solidified, him becoming low T won't matter because you have to protect the relationship at all costs. Sometimes uh, women have to make these choices to keep society functioning, and that's just the way it is. No, it's not. You're a fucking moron. Society doesn't function by you manipulating the hormone levels of your partner without their knowledge. So anyway, I think my position is pretty clear. This kind of stuff is reprehensible and is indefensible, in my opinion. And this is one of the things that people do all over the political spectrum. But one thing that I think particularly the kind of manosphere and red pill types are good at, and the left is also very bad at ignoring these kind of traps, which is finding examples of really egregious and indefensible bad behavior by marginalized groups. In this case, it's women, but it can be minorities, it can be trans people, it can be LGBTQ people, it can be people of color, whatever. They'll find like the most egregious examples of nefarious behavior. And then they use that to paint, of course, the broader marginalized group with that behavior. But where the left will fall into the trap a lot of the times is coming to the defense of that indefensible behavior based on the fact that this person is part of a marginalized group. And one of the things that this ends up doing a lot of the times is one, it hurts your credibility because you look totally crazy defending something that's indefensible. And then two, you end up really infantilizing and hurting marginalized groups in the long run. So let's take an example of this real quick. A really good example of this is how the left sometimes treats Native American civilization pre-colonialization. You'll sometimes see this thought that pre-colonial native civilization was this place of unicorns and rainbows and everything was hunky-dory and everybody was just singing kumbaya and laughing and everything fell apart, of course, when they were colonized. The white guys just came in and just ruined their perfect civilization because they're assholes. This is obviously not representative at all of what Native American civilization was like pre-colonialization. They were civilizations just like any other. They had their own unique cultural practices. They had their own unique religions. They had their own unique political interests. They would intermarry. They would build alliances. They would trade. They would have wars. 
all the kind of stuff you would expect in between civilizations which formulated next to each other. And it goes without saying that just because native civilization wasn't perfect pre-colonialization, that doesn't justify the horrific treatment the Native Americans received at the hands of the colonizers. But it's important to understand reality and where we are. Acting like this Native civilization was this perfect utopia pre-colonialization is really harmful for a couple of reasons. First off, it's just not true. So that obviously harms the process that, at least here in Canada, we're trying to do as much as we can, which is the restoration of Native American cultures and languages and history. So if you are coming in with an inaccurate history that says everything was fine when it actually wasn't and not reflective of what the actual day-to-day -day lives of Native American civilization was like, you're going to hurt that overall cultural restoration. And then, of course, it puts you in a position where, you know, you do have a really awful war between two Native American tribes pre-colonialization. And then all of a sudden that puts you in a position where you have to either backtrack on your, your identity and your worldview, or you have to try and find some way to justify this and shove it into a worldview which is obviously not representative of reality. But there's a reason why this is a very powerful knee-jerk reaction on the left, and that is because the moment any conservative realizes that a marginalized group is capable of some very bad and very nasty behavior, again, they're going to bring it to the fore. But the thing is, they're going to use that to then, like I said, disparage the group as a whole. And that is the issue because people on the left don't want to give them that opportunity in the first place to try and move in and disparage the group as a whole. And this is something you will see a lot with these red pill guys. They'll take this girl and basically say, this is, this is all women. This is what they're all like. Anytime you go out there, you're going to find yourself with some crazy bitch who's going to try and mess with your testosterone levels. That's, that's obviously not the case. Because here's the thing, everybody, I'm going to tell you something that's really going to blow your minds and it's really going to shock you to your very core. That is that women are human beings too. That whole sort of duality of humanity thing. Well, guess what? It applies to women too. If there was any antiquated notion that was not going to survive the sexual revolution, it's this idea that women are sugar and spice and everything nice. Like I said before, women are human beings, and that entails all the greatness and flaws that humanity has to offer. And just like men, women are capable of negative emotions. They're capable of hurting their fellow humans. They're capable of doing malicious things. They're capable of stealing. They're capable of lying. They're capable of doing any type of bad action that you can perceive that a man could do. And here's the thing. People in my generation, younger left-leaning people, we know this, we understand this. We've been around women in our age group long enough to know that they don't want to be pedestalized. They don't want to be treated as above anybody else. They want to be treated like human beings, just like everybody else. You know, they know they're flawed, just like I know I'm flawed. I know I'm not perfect. There's plenty of things that I can work on. And I think just about every woman out there knows that too. And the attitude among the left-leaning demographic of younger people really is that men and women are equal and they are both capable of good and bad things. And women shouldn't be put on a pedestal above men. 
and they shouldn't be put on a status below men. We are equal in terms of our society, and that's the way we're going to actually move forward. Because this kind of whole women are infallible and need to be defended at all costs comes from the mainstream media. It comes from a corporate left that has an old and quite frankly patriarchal attitude towards women, which is that they are infallible. And this attitude is 100% patriarchal because it's not the truth. So because corporate media is made up of a lot of old people who have old ideas, they will push this idea out there that in fact women are infallible and that any type of rhetoric calling them out for bad things, which they obviously have done, is inherently misogynistic. And because, as we have mentioned before, women are not infallible, this creates an obvious incongruity with reality because there'll be plenty of times where people, not just men, but women too, will be hurt by a woman, will be harmed by a woman, whether that's emotionally, physically, financially, whatever you want to say. There will come a time when they realize that women are not infallible, and that will leave them open to radicalization from people like the Red Pill and Better Bachelor and all these types. But the issue with them is that they will then find like the worst of the worst examples like this. And there is another podcast out there that has been getting some flack from the mainstream media. It's called the Whatever Podcast. It's another like fresh and fit clone where they bring on like just women who, you know, frankly, not that smart. Very young women, not really understanding of the world around them, pretty new to this whole adult thing. And they make them look very, very stupid because you know, they come on there and they say stupid things. But if this idea from the mainstream media that women weren't infallible and couldn't be criticized or talked negatively about, if this never exists in the first place, we wouldn't have these red pill guys because we have an understanding of reality, which is much more congruent with what it actually is, which is that men and women are both human beings. And that comes with all the great and horrible things that that entails. So anyway, these podcasts will come on, they'll bring these women on, they'll make them look stupid, they'll mock them, whatever. And then this is a, this of course will spark the reaction from the mainstream media who still has this old patriarchal attitude who will come in and say, no, we have to defend women. These people are awful, blah, 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 blah. And I certainly agree that they are not the healthiest attitude to project out into society. There's no question about that. Because they act, will act like, again, that these women that they have in front of them are representative of all women everywhere. And let me tell you guys, like, I, I genuinely don't know where these guys find these girls. <laughs> like, they, again, have a very alien experience to the women in my everyday life. Then again, I'm used to dealing with women that are in my everyday life that are older than the age of 25. Again, the particularly dangerous notion about this attitude, I think, is, is painting all women with the same brush. There are no good women out there, blah, 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 blah. That's a bunch of nonsense, guys. Like, people have to understand that these people, the, the red pill guys, they are cherry-picking the worst of the worst examples. These guys will spend just about their entire day looking for particular examples of bad behavior from women that they can then take and then make content out of. It's if you go on to r slash relationship advice and you read that and you get this notion that everybody's relationship everywhere is this total mess. Everything's falling apart. People can't get along. But you guys have to remember that people aren't coming to that board 
if things are good. It's like no one's coming to a relationship to advice and being like, everything between my wife is really good. Could I get some advice, please? This is not happening. And then there are some that definitely think that women are lower than men. I would definitely say the TradCon types would argue that women are lower than men. They argue that the women have a certain place in society and men have a place that is basically in the leadership position above them. Players don't care. They see women as like a extra notch on their belt. And again, wanderers don't care because they're busy off doing their own thing. So anyway, once the mainstream media article comes out calling out these guys on the whatever podcast, they of course now get their own boost, right? They get the boost of validation that they've been called out or whatever. And then they can go on and then be like, oh, look at the mainstream media defending all these stupid bitches, blah, 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 blah. And of course, they'll be able to build off on that, probably get another response. <laughs> the response will build off the previous and then on and on and on it goes ad nauseum. So that is my thesis on the red pill feedback loop and how both these red pill channels and the mainstream media live in a very codependent relationship and one which is definitely mutually beneficial for sure. As much as these guys rail about how much they hate the mainstream media, they would not be successful and they would not be relevant without it. And then to left-leaning people out there, again, it's important to understand that people of all groups, including marginalized groups, are fallible and capable of bad things. But the important thing here is to remember that, yes, while conservatives will try and use that malicious behavior to invalidate this marginalized group as a whole, you have to fight them on that ground, that obviously just because someone has done something bad that doesn't discount all these other people who are just living their lives and doing the normal thing. The worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is pretend that this bad behavior doesn't exist when it obviously does. The important thing is to remember is that it is outweighed by a substantial and massive margin by the people who are actually out there in good faith. So that's going to end this particular subject on the red pill feedback loop. And we'll go into our feel good story of the day and wrap it up. So this story I got for you guys is super interesting. Ultrasound to a brain induces hibernation in mice and maybe humans. So this is the first steps in trying to make some sort of cryo sleep technology that we can then use to sleep and traverse space type of thing over long distances and periods of time. So let's see what they've done. There are times when hibernating would be useful, like surgery or space travel, and we're getting closer to be able to do so on demand in humans. Scientists have now demonstrated a way to induce a hibernation-like state in mice and rats using a non-invasive ultrasound pulses to the brain. Tropor is a sleep-like state that animals such as mice and birds go into to conserve energy by bringing their body temperature and metabolism down. It's thought, that to be, it's thought to be a survival mechanism for when food is scarce, allowing them to simply snooze through those times. In 2020, scientists identified a set of neurons in the hypothalamus that allow mice to enter to pour and found that they could stimulate, excuse me, simulate them using light and chemical signals to induce hibernation on demand. Better yet, the same thing worked on rats, which naturally don't go into to pour suggesting that it would work in other animals and maybe humans. A follow-up study in 2022 demonstrated the surgery could be used to prevent tissue damage during heart surgery. Interesting. 
The problem is that triggering the neurons required in animals that were genetically engineered to respond to the triggers, including implanted fiber optics. That's not the most comfortable or practical method. So for the new study, scientists in Washington are trying to develop a non-invasive way to induce tapore. The team created an ultrasound emitter small enough to be mounted on the heads of mice when they went about their day. It would fire off in 10-second pulses of ultrasound directed at the patopic area of the hypothalamus, which instantly triggered symptoms of tapore uh, in the animals. That includes a drop in body temperature by about 3 to 0.5 degrees Celsius, 0.4 to 6.5, excuse me, 6.3 degrees Fahrenheit, as well as a reduced heart rate and oxygen consumption. The animals woke up naturally after a few hours. In another experiment, the researchers hooked the ultrasound emitter up to an automated system that would deliver further pulses whenever the body temperature started to rise again. Through this, they were able to keep mice in Tapor for 24 hours at a time with no visible damage to the brain or apparent discomfort to the animals. The team repeated the experiments with rats and again found that it worked very much the same, albeit with a smaller drop in body temperature, 1 to 2 degrees Celsius. This adds evidence to the idea that metabolic response is still present in mammals that don't naturally hibernate suggesting it could still potentially work in humans. Of course, we're a long way from that yet, but having a non-invasive way of triggering the state that is an important step. If we could get it to work, the team suggests that ultrasound-induced support could save lives during medical emergencies and eventually help future astronauts hibernate on long space voyages. Okay, very cool, very cool. When I, I read that, I definitely wanted to share that with you guys. Just the notion of having some sort of like thing that you attach to your head that emits an ultrasonic pulse that will put you to sleep and put you in hibernation. That's pretty cool. And definitely if we can do that, obviously they mentioned in surgeries, that would be a big benefit because anesthetics are finicky, right? They do work, but they're not the best solution that we have. And of course, they have to be in a very specialized area, right? It's not like you can take your anesthesiologist with all his equipment out into an actual medical emergency out in, in the world. Whereas if you could just like someone is injured badly, you can put this thing on their head and it'll put them to sleep and effectively keep the same thing. It'll help preserve their vital organs and functions and that kind of stuff. Put them to sleep so they're not obviously in trauma. And then a medical personnel can do what they need to do and then get them to the proper care that they need. And then, of course, the very big thing is for astronauts and whatnot to be able to keep them in a state of permanent sleep. And though this seems like this would be a, a far ways away from that, because I would think that if you did put people into this hibernetic state, what they would still do is probably age in comparison to where you would put them and what you would typically associate with a cryonetic sleep in a sci-fi movie or something like that, where there's occasional ice or water or something cold. And that is to prevent the aging process of your, your skin and other things. So I don't know if this would prevent that as well. Um, I don't think it would. Obviously, I'm not an expert in the subject. I don't think you could use this to go on like a, a century long type of voyage or whatever, but to go on like a couple of years or even a couple months, like to get to Mars or something like that. And you don't want to stay awake the whole time. You put on the helmet and you go to sleep type of thing. Definitely useful for smaller voyages if we could figure it out.
Either way, I think that's going to bring us to the very end of our 31st episode of the Comrade Cast, first episode under the new name. So with that, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And if you guys happen to prefer this in an audio format, remember the Comrade Cast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, and soon to be YouTube Music, and hopefully any other platforms that you guys want the podcast to be available on. I'm going to put links in the pinned comment in case that's your jam. And with that, I really want to thank you guys for watching. This has been to Comrade signing off for now. And until next time, you guys take care.